Hello, friends. So we've got a couple of verses here today. So uh, if you've got your Bibles out, hopefully you've got a couple of bookmarks. If not, I'm just going to fly through them and you have to just try and catch up with me. Alrighty. Uh, so to start off with, we've got uh, Genesis 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. So it's just one verse, two verses, then one more verse. So it should be pretty easy. Hopefully I don't mess it up for you. So sorry if I do. Cool. Starting off with Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. One done. Uh, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then to finish up, we've got 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, welcome also from my side and uh, blessed new year. My name is Reich. If we haven't met, uh, come and say hello after the service. You might have noticed um, what we're doing today is a bit different than what we do normally. So normally we just go through a passage of the Bible expositionally. That means we almost go verse by verse or we take a book. But what we do today is a topical sermon. So we have a topical sermon on the topic of how to approach work um, as a Christian. And... Um, there's a bit of a disclaimer I want to give before we start. I want to tell you, um, whenever we read the Bible, right, um, we actually need to look at the context quite a bit because the Bible wasn't primarily written to us, right? It was written to an ancient culture, and their culture was very different from ours. They didn't have a CBD. They didn't have office towers. They didn't have home offices. So their work was very different from ours. They they worked actually quite hard. There was manual labor, right? And um, we can't just translate their working environment into ours. So we always look at the context and get informed by that. But what we do today is a bit different because the topical sermon, what we do is we, we look at the principles, the underlying principles that still apply to us and which flow out of the context. But before we do that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word still applies to us, even in this day, here in Kenmore. And Father, we, we ask that you speak to our minds, to our hearts, and to our wills this morning, through your Holy Spirit. Show us your glory, Father, and show us how your word applies to us. Let us hear the voice of Christ, and let us not be distracted in our minds. And Father, we pray this, not for our own, but for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. During my time in the workforce, um, I came across three main approaches to work. First, I saw people who didn't like to work at all. Basically, they wanted to have a holiday all the days of their life. And I call this the sloth approach to work. Um, sec secondly, I came across um, those who are on the other side of the spectrum, another extreme, so to speak. 
Um, people who are working huge amount of hours during the week, putting work as the number one priority in their lives. And I call it the workaholic approach. And lastly, I came across um, those who are just doing their work. Um, there are people you would barely notice. They um, are quietly chipping away day in and day out. For them, work is neither a very high priority, nor um, do they, yeah, do, do, do they see any real um, hatred in it or anything like that. But day in and day out, they're just chipping away, and it's without a bigger purpose for them. It has no deeper meaning for them. It's just what they do. So I call this the indifferent approach. So there you have it, the sloth, the workaholic, and the indifferent. Um, that's obviously an oversimplification. But you know what's funny about it? I think I myself have been in all three of these categories at some stage in my life. I've been the sloth, the workaholic, and the indifferent. And I think these categories, they are somewhat fluid. Um, you can fall in and out of them depending on where you are in life. You know, before I became a Christian, um, I actually hated work. Um, I couldn't see why I should spend so much time in an office and uh, when there are so many things that are more fun than work, right? I wanted to travel, to see the world, to go overseas, to be outdoors. And I think I started my working life as a sloth, with the sloth approach. But then quickly, I became a workaholic. And the question is, how does that happen? How do you go from one extreme to the other? Well, it was because my hate for work actually gave me a new motivation. Suddenly, I wanted to engineer myself out of the workforce as quickly as possible. Retire early, have some passive income, and that's what I was striving for. And when it didn't work out, I leaped in and out of the indifferent approach to work, seeing no meaning in it anymore. Well, that was me as a non-Christian. I didn't have any guide to tell me what to do um, or anyone and how to approach word, but work. But um, I wonder where you fit into this picture. I wonder where we as Christians fit into this picture, because we have a guide. We have God's will revealed for us. And our first question should always be, what does the Bible say? What does God say? And that's what we were looking at today. We were looking at um, three questions. Why did we need, or why do we need to work at all? Why do we need to rest? And what's the biblical approach, the biblical motivation, the right motivation to work? So let's start with the first one. Why do we need to work at all? To answer this question, it makes sense to look at how God created the world and us in it. First and foremost, what we see is that God himself is a working God. We read in Genesis, he created everything in six days. And then he rested from his work on the seventh day. And when he finished, God saw his creation, his work, and he said it was very good. So you see, the attribute very good wasn't just meant for what was created, but it was also meant for the act of creation itself. You see, from God's perspective, work is actually a good thing. 
And yes, God rested from all his work for creation, but that doesn't mean that God suddenly became a sloth. It doesn't mean that God is doing nothing at the moment. You know, um, our God, is, he's, he's not the God of deism. You know, he's not like a watchmaker who creates a watch, winds it up, and then lets it sit there and um, lets it run on its own and looks at it from a distance and doesn't touch it anymore. But that's not our God. That's not the God of the universe. In fact, he is constantly working. Because, his, because of his work, the entire universe is upheld at this very moment. Have you ever thought about that? Right now. That's, just, that's what's happening. In Colossians 1:16 and 17, we read about Christ that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, and that he is before all things. And now listen to this. In him all things hold together. Right now, here in Kenmore. The writer of the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, he upholds the universe by the power of his word. You see, God is a very busy God. He's a working God. But what does that mean for us? Well, we are made in his image, right? Every one of you sitting here is made in God's image. And we ought to be his representatives on this earth. From the beginning, Adam was made to work. We just heard it in Genesis 2.15. It says that God put him in the garden to do what? In order to work and keep it. We are to be stewards of God's creation, and so we are to work. That's our very nature. That's how God created you and me. He didn't create you to have a vacation, but he created you to have an occupation. In fact, what do the Ten Commandments say? We often skip over it. You know, in, Genesis, uh, in Exodus 20, we, we all know about um, the Sabbath rest, and we quickly move to that. But what does it say before that? It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And after that, it goes and tells us about the Sabbath. But first, it's talking about work. So in the same way that God worked six days to create all things, he commands us to work too. You know, in recent years, um, there are some people, especially in the tech industry, who are um, hyping things like AI, artificial intelligence. Industry 4.0 is a very big buzzword at the moment. And what does it all mean? What, what are they all saying? It basically means this. They are saying that give us a couple more years and the robots will take over. People like Elon Musk, they spent their whole career trying to accomplish this. And we read about the reports in the news where they are saying in a couple of years, most of our jobs will be gone because it will all be automated. I mean, I, I, had, a, <laughs> I had a scary experience this week. I went online, checked out the newest and most advanced chat bot, an AI bot. You can ask that thing anything. You put something in and it spits something out. And I said, write a sermon on the topic of work. And, he, and it did it. it. It was scary. It's not the sermon you hear now, but it's, it, was, it was scary. It's, but, you know, they, they, they actually they put it positively. They say, we'll be doing whatever we like to, being creative. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly sure, actually, that the work environment will be changed by tech. 
I think that's a given, and we have seen it in the past, how the world was radically changed by technology. That's not news, and the promise of not working anymore is not news either. But think about it. How much freedom of work did you get by having a smartphone, by having a computer and the internet? When I look at my email account, I think I get more work. And um, I think to some extent we become enslaved by tech. Better technology just means that we're doing more work in less time. Um, which, by the way, doesn't mean that we are more efficient because I think we are very good in creating work where there is no work. Um, but in general, work hasn't stopped, has it? Um, we're still working and we will continue to work. And that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that after the fall, you know, in the beginning everything was very good, but after the fall, work became hard and painful. God cursed the ground because of Adam's sin. And God told him what? He told him, you will eat in pain of it all days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the fields. I don't know if you get that, but um, that... I think that means becoming vegetarian is actually part of the curse, but I'm, 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 just, I'm just quoting the Bible here. But, but God goes on like this. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So if you're looking for an easy job, if you're looking for a job where you have to do nothing at all, stop looking for it because you will not find it. Because this world is under a curse of God, and all work is hard work. And it will be like that till the end of our lives. So why are we working at all? Because we have a working God who created us in his image. And he created us for work. He even commands us to work. So we can't be the sloth. But we can acknowledge that because of sin in the world... Work will be hard, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. Work and life in general are and will be painful and exhausting on this side of heaven. And this brings us to our second point, why we need to rest. Well, we have heard it more or less, and God commands us to rest. He, God knows that we are finite creatures. So when we do rest, we're actually following God's commands of the Sabbath rest. And we are honoring him. But if we don't take a break, eventually we will break. And that means we won't be able to do the work that God has prepared for us beforehand. You know, the, the, the problem with the workaholic is that work becomes an idol. And a workaholic no longer follows God, but something else. There can be different reasons why people become workaholics. For some, it's the career that they are chasing. You know how we often say, I'm an engineer, I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, um, and so on. But I think there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. As long as it doesn't become our identity. Or something we want to impress others with. It's a problem when we become proud and when we think that our values and our dignity lies in a title. 
No, as Christians, we should not forget that our identity is not in a title or even what we do. Our identity is in Christ and what he has done for us. That's our first priority. But there can be other reasons why people become workaholics. Um, maybe it's the mortgage that needs to be paid off, or it's saving up for the first house, for the first car, a nice holiday. Maybe it's a retirement, or maybe it's just feeding the family. There are good reasons for working, but whatever it is, when it starts to consume your whole being, when you're chasing after this one thing, taking no rest, having no time for God anymore, having no time for family or church family, if your work is number one priority, then it's an idol. And um, this will have an impact not just on your physical and spiritual health, it will have an impact on your family too and the people surrounding you. So if, if that is you today, I've got a message for you. You need to rest. And by rest, I don't mean holiday. Because as Christians, we find rest in Christ. That's why Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all, you who are la all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that beautiful and comforting? Knowing that the God of the universe is holding out rest and peace for us. With open arms, he calls you to himself because he knows what you need. He created you. Like a father, he knows what's best for his child. We can rest in God when we come to him in prayer, in our private devotional time, and we, when we praise him like today on Sunday, in our worship service. Christ says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Notice how he says we shall learn from him. Christ himself often took time for rest, and he prayed to his Father. And so whether you're in the workforce, or you still go to school, you study, or you're retired already, it doesn't matter. We need this rest. Sitting on the lap of our Heavenly Father, listening to His Word, not just on Sunday, but every morning before we start our day. Talking to Him and resting with Him. Be still and know that I am God. That's what we read in the Psalms. That's what God says to the troubled souls. But you might say, well, this is easy said, but doing that is hard because I have so much work to do, so much pressure from the outside. I can see it already coming after the holidays. I just don't have time for an extra devotion. In fact, over the last year, I spoke to many of you, and I asked you, how are you doing? And I got um, the usual reply, the Aussie reply, doing good, all good made. Um, but when I was drilling a bit deeper, with many of you I could see how busy you were and um, how life became hard. There was this heavy burden of work resting on your shoulders, even preventing you from 
private and family devotion. It's hard, isn't it? How do you juggle all these things? But let me remind you of the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Two sisters, right? Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him quietly, to his teaching. She's feeding on Christ's words. And then we have Martha running around frantically, wanting to serve Jesus and the guests in her house. She is distracted by much work. She even complains and wants to tell Jesus what to do. But what's Jesus' reply to her? What does he say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think what Jesus is saying is this, we need to change our perspective. Time spent with God and rest in Christ are not an extra on top of all our work. It's not an extra burden that will break us. No, time spent with God and rest in Him, that's the foundation of all our work. The foundation that carries the burdens of life. Only if we are spiritually grounded in Him can we do the work that He has prepared for us. God doesn't just tell us, you need to work. No, he's also the one who gives us the energy to do it. Our devotional time and rest with God are the foundation for everything else. Take this foundation away, and you will not just stumble spiritually, but there will be no meaning in work anymore. And that brings us to our last question for today. What's the right approach, the right motivation to work, the biblical one? <laughs> You know, 14 years ago, um, I used to work as an electrician um, in a hospital. And uh, we normally worked in teams of two. Um, so I was always uh, with this older guy that I had on my side. And um, his approach to work, well, it was to run away from it and to hide from the boss. And so at least twice a day, he took me down into a dark room in the basement below the hospital. And while we were hiding from the boss and from work, he said to me, Reich, I think it's time for eye care now. And what he meant by that was, close your eyes, we will have a nap now. <laughs> I found this extremely unsatisfying, and um, I think this was also probably the reason why I became, or why I studied engineering afterwards, because I thought, that can't be it. But you see, this older guy, he was sliding from the indifferent approach into the sloth approach of work. But it all started with this indifference because he had no motivation. He saw no purpose, no meaning in his work. He just came to work and did it, or not, when he was hiding. But, um, I mean, neither he nor I, we were Christians at this moment. But I think as Christians, we can easily fall into the same habit thinking that we just have to get on with it. The same routine day after day after day. But the Bible tells us there's more to it. There's a purpose to life. There's a purpose to every work we do. Again, whether you are in the workforce, school, or retired, doesn't matter. Because everything we do, in everything we do, we serve God. 
And where do we see it first and foremost? I think we see it in Christ himself. It says Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom. Well, what I might say now, it might come as a shock to you, but Christ's first priority to come into this world was actually not to save you. Christ's first priority was to glorify the Father and to do the Father's will. We are not the center of the gospel. The gospel is God-centered. And yes, he did it by offering salvation to you. The Son of God served the Father by serving us. He glorified him by living the perfect and sinless life we couldn't live. And by dying as the perfect sacrifice on the cross for your sins and mine. That's how Christ glorified the Father and saves everyone who believes in him from God's just wrath. Think about it, what he has done on the cross, the pain, the suffering, the agony on the cross, the wrath of God poured out on him. Think about who would take on that job description. Who would take on this job? A job that will cost him his life, not for anyone, but for his enemies. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That's love. That's glorifying the Father. No one will do that. But Christ knew all this beforehand, and he still submitted to the Father's will. And at the end of his ministry, when he prays to his father, what does he say? He says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished what? The work that you gave me to do. John 17, 4. You see, if we want to become more like Christ, if we want to take up our cross and follow him, we should also have the same motivation for our work. Like Christ, we should seek to glorify God in everything we do with a servant mentality and joy in our hearts. That's why Paul says, so whether you drink or eat, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Is that what you think about when you work? Are you working for God or are you working for yourself? Are you working to serve God and glorify him? You see, as Christians, we can't be the sloth or the workaholic, but we can also not be the indifferent one. If our chief aim in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, as the catechism says, then that includes our work. Now, that doesn't mean that we can save ourselves by works. And we have heard that again and again in our um, Romans series last year, right? We have heard that we are saved by grace alone and through faith alone. But that doesn't mean that work stops, right? That's why the reformers said, we are saved by faith alone, yes, but that faith never comes alone. In fact, that's when the race really starts. That's when we strive, as Christ commands us, to enter the narrow gate. So what does that all mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a Christian electrician, a Christian engineer, a Christian lawyer, a Christian accountant? To hide from more work and to do eye care? 
I don't think so. No, it means to strive for excellency, to deliver quality work, to be honest, friendly, loving your colleagues and customers, to be submissive to your boss, to have gratitude and a servant attitude in your heart. Like that one that we see in Christ. You see, as Christians, our work becomes a reflection of our belief. It becomes a reflection of the beauty of the gospel. And you know, to preach this topical sermon on work from the pulpit, it can sometimes sound too easy. Because as someone who will work in full-time ministry this year, I'm kind of in a Christian bubble. I don't rub shoulders with the world like you do. You are the ones who are out there in the secular workforce. Most of you probably more than 40 hours a week. You are the ones who are seen by the world and surrounded by so many non-Christians. And in this environment, you are the ones who become lights to the world, pointing others to Christ by sharing the gospel and what you say, what you do, and what you don't do and don't say. But I want you to know that you're not alone on this journey. Because as ministers, even though we, we don't rub shoulders with the world like you do, it's our job to equip you for that job. It's our job to give you the tools of evangelism and apologetics, to put you in contact with people like David Pitt, who works for City Bible Forum. You know, these guys, they come into your workplace. They work together with you to share the gospel. So you're not alone on this. And I encourage you, if you have questions about that, come see Steve Blanco, Steve Young, or me if you want. Because when we work, we work together as a whole body of Christ in gospel partnership to do the will of God, to fulfill his great commission. God uses us as his instruments to glorify himself. So before we close, think about it. What better motivation for work could there be than to long for the day when you get to heaven and you hear these words, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And then you see, you not only hear, but you see the people coming to you, welcoming you and thanking not you, but thanking God that he has used you to bring them there. What better motivation would there be? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you made us into your image, how you created us for work to glorify you. And we pray in whatever capacity we work in that we won't be like the indifferent one but that you would give us a zeal and passion for our work that is visible and contagious, pointing others to Christ. May we be joyful about it because we are serving you and Christ as our King. And may we not be like the workaholic Isa, but may we take rest. And may this rest be not like the unending holiday that the sloth seeks, but may it be your rest in Christ the one in whom we find our strength, the one who saved us, our Lord and Savior, to whom belongs all the glory, now and forever. Amen.
we're going to sing again. Uh, we'll sing uh, the old hymn, Blessed Assurance. And I'd just like you to take particular notice of verse 3. It says, Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Saviour am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Um, yeah, I think just reflecting on Reich's words that uh, really encapsulates um, yeah, what our joy is as Christians, that our, um, yeah, our existence can be uh, in those words. So please stand and we'll sing together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. 